You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. This passage of Scripture that I've asked you to open your Bibles to in 2 Kings chapter 7, I was introduced to at the age of about 17. I was handed a cassette tape. Does everybody understand what a cassette tape is? Think previous version of an iPod, okay? It's how we old people heard messages that were recorded. And this this cassette tape contained a sermon by Tom Elliff. Tom Melliff was the pastor of the largest church in Oklahoma back when I was a teenager, and he preached this message at Falls Creek. Falls Creek is the largest Christian encampment in the world, and it's where all the teenagers went in the summer in Oklahoma uh, for camp. 7,000 teenagers at camp. Think of the trauma of 7,000 teenagers at camp, 7,000 seat open tabernacle in the summer in Oklahoma. The temperature in the tabernacle was 110 degrees. So you had to give your life to Jesus because you were already experiencing just a taste of the flames of hell. So um, uh, it, it was a wonderful thing. Every teenager in Oklahoma has been to, to Falls Creek. And so this, this, this message that was preached by Tom Elliff in large part I believe was the spark that led to a lot of actually what is happening right here, right now. I got a burden to go and to do the Billy Graham thing and to talk to my neighbors and my friends about Jesus and, and employ, them to, employ them to give their life to Christ, all from this very strange passage in 2 Kings, okay? Now, let me tell you, I am committed, you know this, I am committed to the expository preaching of God's Word. Now, expository preaching at its core means this. The point of the sermon is the point of the passage. You don't get to take and use the Bible to preach something other than what the original author intended for that passage uh, to, to mean, okay? So we're about to read a story here. Let me tell you the point of the passage because I want the point of the sermon to be the point of the passage. This is it. It's that God can rescue people. God can deliver people out of impossible circumstances. The most impossible circumstance is that you are a hard-hearted, dirty, rotten sinner bound for hell. That's an impossible situation. The good news is God loves to rescue people through Jesus Christ out of that impossible situation. That's the point of the passage, okay? Now, in the midst of the point of this passage, there is an illustration and an application for us that I want us to see. Now, let me set it up here in just a moment. I'm going to dive into it in a moment. Let me, let me give you the context, okay? We're in the book of 2 Kings, and so we're in this history, this period of Israel that's really strange. There were good kings and bad kings. Good kings, um, David, Solomon, but toward the end of Solomon's life, he kind of lost his mind and started doing things that, that God didn't want him to do. And then from there, the kings got worse and worse and worse until finally we end up here in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. And, and the king of Israel at the time is a guy named uh, Joram. He's the son of Ahab, and he was the worst of them all. And so at this time, God actually sent the enemies of Israel to surround the city of Samaria. Samaria was the capital city, 
And um, the Syrians, led by King Ben-Hadad, surrounded the city with his great army. There was no way in. There was no way out. And rather than fight a war against Samaria, he just said, we're well stocked. We're well supplied. We'll just wait them out until there's no more food, no more water, and no more hope. And then they'll come out and we'll annihilate them. And so that was the plan of the army of uh, the enemies of God, the Syrians. Now, in the midst of that, God always raised up a prophet. The prophet at this time was Elisha, who met with God, heard from God, and spoke for God. And so he's a key figure in this. We're going to be introduced to him in in chapter 7. Now, I just want you to understand the conditions in Samaria at this time. The conditions were so bad, there's a famine going on in the land. There's no food. It got so bad that they even started cannibalizing one another. Two moms met together and said, let's eat our children for breakfast. Wouldn't that motivate you to obey your mother if you knew that mom was so hungry? You talk about hangry. I mean, she was coming after her son just to get her next meal. That's how bad the conditions were in chapter six. Now with that background, let's read here in chapter seven, verse one. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. If the Lord was not a gracious God, the whole Bible would have ended in the white space between chapter 6 and chapter 7. But because God is a gracious, loving, caring God, He speaks to rebellious, hard-hearted sinners like you and me and to these people in Samaria. And Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. I know you have no idea what that means. I didn't either. Let me put it this way. He's just talking about the economic conditions are bad. What he's saying is basically this. Right now... A loaf of bread cost $100. Tomorrow at this time, a loaf of bread is going to cost $1 because there's going to be an abundance of bread. In other words, God is going to completely change the economic condition, the fortune. God's going to set these people free. That's what God said through the prophet Elisha. And yet, They didn't believe it. As a matter of fact, verse 2 says, There was a captain on whose hand the king leaned, and he said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But Elisha said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. In other words, because you doubted, you're not going to get to experience the deliverance. As a matter of fact, the story doesn't end well for this captain. He's trampled at the end of the chapter. Now, in between that, there's this little subplot that begins in verse 3. Here's what it says. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? These four lepers are going to give us an illustration of three kinds of people that show up every Sunday morning in churches all over the world. As a matter of fact, all three types of these people are in this room right now. Let me introduce them to you. The first one are the sitters. And the sitters believe they have actually accomplished something by coming and sitting in church. They live with a false belief 
that following Jesus is simply sitting in church. I want you to understand something. I was made for more than sitting. Now, these guys, these four lepers, were sitting here at the gate. Now, you have to understand something about leprosy, okay? We don't have a whole lot of leprosy going on in our culture today. In the Bible, leprosy was a kind of a summary term for all kinds of skin conditions. But worse than that, it was actually a neurological condition where people lost feeling in their hands and their appendages. And so um, they would bump themselves or bruise themselves or even cut themselves and not even know it. And then they would bleed out and it would get so bad bad, they couldn't feel anything. They would hurt themselves so bad that eventually a finger would fall off or an arm would fall off or a leg would fall off. That's how bad leprosy was back in these days. So you can imagine these four guys just sitting here at the gate of the city. On the inside of the gate, you got the famine going on and you got moms eating their kids. And these guys are probably thinking, my mom wasn't real happy with me last week, so I don't think I'm going back in there. And if we go back over here, we got the armies of God, the armies of of Israel over here. the, the Syrians are out there. We, we better just sit here. It's safer here. And you can imagine how these lepers would have occupied their time. Maybe they were the, watching the Olympics and maybe they thought, well, we, we, we could play some hockey. They tried that for a while, but then there was a face off in the corner and it ruined the whole game. You're not into hockey jokes? They tried to get a football game together, but then there was a handoff at the 30-yard line. That didn't work. I got one more. Should I try it? They tried to play baseball, but the pitcher threw his arm out. It was not good, okay? So anyway, lepers were, if you got leprosy, it was bad news, okay? So these guys are probably sitting there just trying to survive. But then one of these guys says, I am so tired of sitting And he asked the question, why are we sitting here until we die? Verse 4, if we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. That's not a good option. Option 2, if we sit here, we die also, because after all, we got leprosy. Option 3, so come now, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, obviously we shall but die. But that seemed like a better option to them. And so these guys got tired of sitting. Oh, how I wish every person that comes to Harvest Bible Chapel would ask the same question these lepers ask. Why are you sitting here until you die? Now, Sitting is not all bad. As a matter of fact, we all start our Christian journey kind of sitting. You need to sit down and just listen to somebody share the gospel with you. And if you haven't yet trusted Christ, I would implore you as you sit there to listen to the Spirit of God draw you into relationship, to warm your cold, dead heart and make it alive. And just sit there long enough to listen. But once you have believed the gospel, your period of sitting is over. It's okay to come in here once a week and for about an hour, let's sit here and dive into God's word. But if you think that Christianity is coming and sitting in church, you are sadly mistaken. And if, if that's you this morning, I would be glad to find you another church where you can sit and be comfortable. 
If you're going to come to harvest, we're going to encourage you to do more than sit. Sitters often know how bad the conditions are. These guys are probably discussing about the famine and the cannibalism that's going on in the city. And a lot of people that come to church and sit actually know a lot of stuff that they should know. Some of you know that 2.5 billion people on planet Earth will be born, live their entire lives, and die without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Did you know that? If you did know that, my question to you is, Why are you sitting here until you die when people on this planet have yet to hear the gospel? Others of you say, well, it's such a far... Okay, well, how about this? If you put a pin drop on a Google map where Harvest Bible Chapel Granger is, Hickory Road right there, did you know that there's 250,000 people within a 30-minute drive of this church? If statistics are accurate, somewhere between 8 and 14% of them might be in a church on any given Sunday. Did you run into any traffic problems on Sunday morning getting to church? Like, not until I got to Hickory Road. Yeah, got it? (laughs) There's not a whole lot of people dragging themselves out of bed to go hear the gospel or to preach the gospel in Michiana, which is one of the reasons why we are in this Made for More campaign. People need a place where they can hear the gospel. Some of you understand that 55,000 churches in the United States will close their doors in the next seven years. That's why we are committed to planting, strengthening, and multiplying great commission churches, Bible-preaching churches here and around the world. That's why we're giving ourselves to that. So if you just think coming to church and sitting is the sum total of your Christianity we're going to make you feel real uncomfortable. Here's the second type of person that comes to church. Not just the sitters, but the getters. Look at verse 5. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. Where did they go? Verse 6 says, the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of the chariots and of horses and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of of Egypt have to come against us. And so they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys and their Ferraris. And and they came and leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. Verse eight. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent. Anybody here? Nobody there. And so they ate and they drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and they went and hid them. And then they came back and they entered into another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid it. Can you imagine these guys? I mean, dragging their leaking bodies into the tent. And all of a sudden they see 
everything they could ever wish for. These guys hadn't eaten in weeks and they're starting to shove these Krispy Kreme donuts into their mouths and the Big Macs and shrimp cocktail and it's all going, it's like, oh, this is so good, how good. It couldn't get any better. Well, as a matter of fact, it can. Here's wine and here's drink and Diet Coke and they're just shoving all this and there's a Slurpee there and they're enjoying all this. Oh, could it get any better? Oh, look, there's clothing available. Here, try this on. And they're putting these great clothes on and fancy hats. And like one of them steps back, is like, what do you think? Oh, you look so fly. It's like, oh, it's great. Try this one on. You know, and well, how do I look? It's good, except your face is falling off. But, you know, you look good in that. All right. And like, oh, could it get any better than that? Oh, look, here's silver. They start shoving the silver into their pockets and carrying gold. And like, where are we going to put all this? I know. Let's go dig a hole. Let's dig in a hole. And they're putting this stuff in. Oh, could it get any better? Yes, there's another tent. And so they go back into another tent and they're grabbing and eating and they're enjoying all this until one of them says in verse nine, we are not doing right. You see, a getter is just simply a sitter with common sense. And there's a lot of getters in church. You say, I know it's just not about sitting. You've got to come and you've got to learn. You've got to stuff your head full of knowledge. You've got to get filled with the Spirit. And it's about a vertical worship service. And that's why we come. We want a vertical worship experience. And we want to get some Bible teaching. And you've got to be really careful. Because if you think that your Christianity is just simply about getting more knowledge or getting some kind of an experience in vertical worship. And if you don't let your vertical worship turn you into missional living, you've missed it. You're as bad as a leper who's just simply stuffing all the goods for yourself. Getters are consumers of the stuff. The reason we do this every week is not just for you. It's so that you can go give it away to others. The calling on your life, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, is the same as the calling of Billy Graham. You may never have a pulpit at the L.A. Coliseum or Madison Square Garden, but you've got one in that classroom. You've got one in that neighborhood. And for you to walk across the street and just sit and share with your neighbor the good news of Jesus Christ and tell them your story is what God wants you to do and can be just as effective as anything or any way that God ever used Billy Graham. I told you this message, that cassette, I wore that cassette out. I learned not only the message in this, this chapter, but I'd learned how to preach listening to Tom Elliff. I'm just like, oh, this is the way you put an outline together. This is the way you share a story. This is the way that you motivate people and invite people to come to Christ. I remember when I got into college a couple of years later, um, I didn't want to waste my summers. And so I signed up for, uh, uh, to be on a summer mission team. Uh, there was an organization in our state that was putting together these youth evangelism teams. And the, the teams were made up of three individuals. They, they needed a preacher, a worship leader, and a fellowship director. 
They took one look at me and said, you're not a preacher. And then they said, you can be the worship leader, which back in the day, all you had to do was sing loud, match pitch, and open a hymn book and learn this pattern. And if you did this well, you could make it happen. How many of you wish Micah would do this occasionally? Just because that would... That would get you in the groove of what's going on, okay? Maybe Micah could make that happen, okay, next week. And, um, and that's what I did. And so we, we went to some of the most obscure little towns in Oklahoma. If you think Indiana has obscure towns, you've never seen obscurity until you've been to the panhandle of Oklahoma and gone to Turpin, okay? It's where I started my preaching, worship leading career. And, uh, uh, and I did that actually for two summers, at the end of the second summer, the guy that was kind of in charge of these teams, um, he came to me. He's like, hey, Trent, I wonder if you would kind of share about your experience and share your testimony at our state evangelism conference, at our state youth evangelism conference. And so uh, it was being held at the largest church in Oklahoma at the time. It was First Southern Baptist Church in Dell City, Oklahoma, 7,000 seat auditorium, 7,000 teenagers came to this auditorium and I stood in that pulpit and I preached to the, still the largest crowd I've ever preached to was 7,000 kids at First Southern Baptist Church. I have a picture of it. Would you like to see a picture of this? Okay, so here's the 20-year-old version of me and um, there it is. And it's a, it's a huge auditorium. Make it wider. Make the, make the bigger shot there. And uh, I know it's hard to see. Our iPhone cameras were not as developed back in 1987 as they are today. And so uh, there I was. And uh, I just, God, it, what was cool about that was that was the church of the man that preached the message on the cassette tape. And so, so the Lord just kept opening doors and I just kept stepping through them. The last thing I wanted to be was a setter and a getter. What I wanted to be was a goer and a teller. Notice verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. It's not right to be a setter and a getter. We're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. You see, goers and tellers know that the gospel is not good advice. If you showed up at church this morning so that we could open the Bible to give you some parenting advice or some marriage advice or some financial advice, there's stuff like that in the Bible. But if that is the only way you read the Bible, you have missed the main purpose of the Bible. The main purpose of the Bible is not to give you good advice. It is to give you good news. And the news is this. God has won the victory over sin and death. These guys knew there was good news that the armies of the Lord had defeated the armies of God. And while they were shoving their faces full of food and trying on the clothes and hiding the gold in a hole, there was a whole city that was dying that didn't know the news. And so they said, what are we doing we have got to go tell them. That's what it says. It says, this is a day of good news. And if we are silent and wait until morning, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come and let us go and tell the king's household. 
I was made to go and to tell. Have you heard the news? Do you know the news? How many times have you heard the news? How many times have you told the good news to people who are dying and going to hell while you're sitting and getting God has called you as a disciple of Jesus Christ to get serious. You've got to go to someone, go to some group, go to some family member, some coworker, some classmate, some teammate, some city, some nation, and go and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Who is the hero of this story? Some people would say, well, it's Elijah. He was the one that was the prophet that God worked through. Wrong. Well, it's the lepers. Wrong. The hero of the story is Jesus. He's the captain of the Lord's armies that sent the enemies of God to flight. Do you understand what the gospel is? You and I are citizens of Samaria. We're cannibalizing one another. We are spiritually starving. We're as good as dead. We are out of time. We are out of hope. We are facing the certain judgment of God because of our rebellion and our sin and because we have neglected the covenant love of God. You and I are in the same condition as the citizens of Samaria. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ on the cross bore our sin, bore our shame. He defeated death and hell on our behalf. And God has sent a prophet to tell us the good news, that the Lord has won the victory. The question is, have you believed it to the point where it has moved you beyond sitting and getting to going and telling? Let me tell you the way the story ends. They go and tell the king. The king doesn't believe them. They say, no, it's a trick. They're just hiding behind the bushes out there. I'm not going out there. And so he doesn't go. Finally, another man goes out there to see if, if, the, if what he said was really true. And sure enough, it was true. He goes back in and tells all the Samaritans, they open the gates of the city and the citizens of Samaria flood out of the city in freedom and in joy to experience all that God has provided to take care of their needs. What he did for them tangibly, he's done for us spiritually. He's provided all the grace, all the forgiveness, all the security, all the significance that you could ever want if you will simply just believe the word of the Lord and trust what God has done on the cross in Jesus is for you. That's the message of the gospel. Do you remember I told you about the guy in verse 2, the captain that said, well, I don't think that God's going to do that. It's, I just can't imagine. Yeah, the people trampled him on the way out. If you don't believe this, it's not going to end well for you. And that's the message that we have to share. On Friday morning, kid number three in our family was rushing out the door and she'd written a speech that she needed to deliver that day and, and uh, she needed to print the speech but her, it wasn't working on her computer so she said, can I just email it to you and you print it? So I we did that. But then after she rushed out of the house with her papers, I still had her speech on my computer. So I spied on her. <laughs> I'm like, let's see what this kid's 
written to deliver to her speech class. And it was an inspirational speech that she had to give. And it had to, do, it had to have something to do with beauty. So this is what she did. She had three points to it. She pointed out three very ugly things in life that she'd experienced, including um, Andrea had cancer a few years ago. And, and, and then she shared this story about a friend that she'd been a classmate with last year at Penn High School that ended up committing suicide. But when she shared that story, she shared the beauty of redemption. And this was one of the paragraphs in her speech. I stole it. (laughs) This is what it says. She says, I knew that she was hurting. I knew something was definitely wrong. And yet I was too embarrassed to ask anything about it. I remember the day of her death, her laugh that was contagious at all times, her jokes that hid her pain. I didn't talk to her that day other than a quick hello. And I wish more than anything that I could have took her by the shoulders. It should be taken by the shoulders, taken by the shoulders and told her that she was loved more than she'd had ever known and that she mattered to my life and those around her, and most important of all, that there was one who made life worth living. Now, there wasn't beauty in the way that her life ended, but there was in the way that my heart was changed. I became aware of the importance of letting people know about the Savior who rescues, and that the person on the outside is not always the person on the inside. She went on to share the whole gospel of Jesus. This was the speech that she gave. I'm like, she's a chip off the old block. That's as good as any sermon I've ever written. That'll work. The 17-year-old version of her is reminding me of the 17-year-old version of me. Listen, it doesn't matter if you are 17 or 70. God has made you for more than sitting and getting. He has made you to go and to tell. Let me just ask you to bow your heads for a minute. Are you a sitter? Hey, if you're a sitter, you're welcome to be here. But the thing we wanted you to hear when you were setting is that you're a dirty, rotten sinner in need of a Savior. You're a citizen of the city of Samaria. You're spiritually starving. Your your death is imminent. And there's only one way to be set free. It is to believe that what Christ has done on that cross has purchased your rescue. Have you trusted Him? If not, do it now. If that is an old story, then it's time for you to be sharing that story. Don't just be a getter. What are you doing about the 2.5 billion people on the planet that have yet to hear that story? What are you doing about the quarter of a million people that live around you that either don't know or don't care? Father, this morning, I pray that your spirit would draw us 
that your spirit would convict us, change our hearts, give us a love, not only for the gospel, but a love for people that need to hear it, to know it, to believe it. I pray that even from this room, you would raise up pastors and church planters and small group leaders and Bible study leaders and people that would just simply go to coffee and open their mouths and share the gospel with people that need it. Lord, we repent for just being content to stuff our faces and stuff our hearts and stuff our heads full of more knowledge. Send us out of here. Make us goers and tellers. All for the sake of Jesus. Amen.